here tonight and all the rest of you who are here whether it's live or in Memorex thanks for being here no more sniffles uh, um just my usual sinusy stuff okay. I'm a sinusy person that's just that's the part I'm, I'm I, I just deal with it's the sneezy coffee yeah mild cold actually turned out to be a very mild cold in, in terms of things it's advantages of working from home is that I'm not as exposed to a significant chunk of humanity in my previous jobs of course you know being a medical a medical pathology courier right. you know I, I hung around a lot of hospitals where that's where they keep the sick people I, I hear that's the case yes so uh, but also um, you know I was in the restaurant industry for a long time so exposed to all kinds of humanity and, of course, in that line of work, far too many people don't take time off because they can't afford to. Right. Um, so. I know that feeling, having to, having to work and, and do whatever even though you don't feel like it. I, uh, I have a boss these days who sits there and says things like, why don't you take today off then? <laughs> well, okay. Ow, ow, my arm, yeah, stop, right. you're hurting me, right. ow. Uh, last week, during Life of the Bunker, I think it was on Wednesday, we did the unboxing on Wednesday or Thursday? It was Wednesday. Um, I opened up one of the packages that we had. It was, I, I bought this, and this is not an endorsement, so it's not an advertisement or anything like that, but we're drinking Invader Coffee tonight. It's not bad. Mm. I, I kind of like it. They're, they're based out of Austin, Texas, so I thought I'd give it a try because we're still looking. We're still looking for a coffee company to be a sponsor for We the drink channel. a lot of it. We do. We do. And I saw, what did I see? Some threshold number where if you drink, I think, 74 five cups of coffee and one right after the other after the other after the other the caffeine has some sort of a detrimental effect 75 cups of I coffee think 75 at, at 75 <laughs> the caffeine has a detrimental yeah, effect yeah, well something something along the lines of of it, not brain damage but blindness or i mean some wild <laughs> something and somebody responded <laughs> Somebody responded, so the limit's 74 then. That's what I was just yeah. thinking. Everything's fine to the 74th yeah. cup. Everything, <laughs> yes. So, oh, my. Uh, Robert, it's called Invader Coffee. I don't know if you can get a close-up here and, and stuff, Mrs. Boss. No, well, you can you can go to my... We, all the cameras are working. Stick it in front of the camera. I am sticking it in front of the camera. I'm sticking it in front of the camera that's pointed at me. Because there's me, Invader Coffee. It's based out of Austin, Texas, invadercoffee.com. So they've got a number of blends. So I was I was safe and just got the the regular blend, the yeah. house blend type thing. So there's um uh what is it? Is it Bob's Bob's Coffee out of New York? Um which um, quite a few years ago, uh, my friend Christina, who she and her husband moved to New York, and I was having a rough patch, and I was complaining about it. I mentioned that I was out of coffee. Mm. And about a week later, 
a box shows up. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and it's a pound of this coffee. And it's really, really good, but it's not cheap. It's like 20 bucks a pound to order it. So yeah. I'm sure it's cheaper and, you know, buy it in-house. Uh, but um, that and, and Seattle's Best is what I'm currently bringing. Again, not an endorsement. They're not giving yeah. us any money. This is the stuff that I personally buy. It would personally be nice buy. if they gave us money. I would be, you know, if, if I'd be happy if uh, Seattle's Best wanted to give us coffee. It's a nice Mazers nice is asking, do they have sanity-flavored coffee? Need some of that at this point. I, I, I would go with some of that. Speaking of... For those of you who didn't see it, today on Live from the Bunker, we talked about the insanity that's going on on Wall Street. Mm. Um, I have, see, like, look, I even took notes. Pages and pages of notes. So it was a good, it was a good stream. We had uh, a couple of guests, and we talked about all of the crazy that's going on with GameStop and everything else that's happening. I don't see it coming to a conclusion anytime soon. No, but apparently um, there's a film already in the works. Actually, there's two. Oh, and there's a two. And a TV show. And a TV show. Well, yes. of course there is. Now, the idea of, of individuals banding together and doing stock purchases together is not new. No. This just happens to be a fairly sizable and very public, and for a company which, strictly speaking, um, yeah. is... <laughs> on its way to business. Well, um, well, we got to talking about it today, and um, Matt Stevens was one of our, our mm. experts. He's in the, the investment world. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, if they could put it together in time, this would be a good opportunity to do an IPO. But, you know, there's nothing that says that they're going to be able to put anything together in, in quick enough. Well, uh, and there's nothing that says the SEC will even allow them to do it sure. because, you know, it's in the middle of all this mess. So well, I think, unfortunately, GameStop, their business, I mean, the, and maybe this is an opportunity for them to pivot to something that's going to be more sustainable. Their e-commerce is up 300%. Yeah, but their business model is to sell a physical thing that people are getting digitally now, which yeah. is kind of like, it's the blockbuster model, unfortunately. I saw somebody post, um, there. It was, it was a gag, but it was basically saying, these people think that, you know, they don't understand that we're perfectly willing to plunk $40 down on something we never touch again. Because <laughs> how many, hey, have you looked at our Steam libraries? Oh, oh, it's crazy. I don't know. Tonight is not, that. Uh, that is not our topic. No. You you had a suggestion, you had an idea. Yeah, so <clears throat> I have been watching The Watch, the BBC America show uh -huh. The Watch. And it is an adaptation of a kind of the the watch books from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. Right. Now this is a series that when the when the initially was announced there was a lot of excitement because it was initially seen to be connected with the Pratchett estate and Rihanna Pratchett, uh, Terry's daughter who has basically been she and, and several other people who are friends of, of Terry's um, have been, you know, working on getting quality adaptations done. Um, this was not actually under their umbrella. This was the rights were sold to be the BBC to let them do an adaptation. Okay. And of course, we've seen successful adaptations very recently 
with uh, Good Omens. Of course, it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Very popular series, a very faithful adaptation. What was added in was stuff that was potentially going to be from a, a sequel novel they never wrote. Mm. So a lot of the a lot of the new stuff was like well, the, yeah, they talked about it, right? Um, and they went, oh, put it in. Um, this is not that show. Uh, the trailer comes out, and a lot of Pratchett fans sat there and went, what are we looking at here? Yeah. And what's really odd is that it's actually a very entertaining show. And this is one of those things where you review things, you look at things with a critical eye, and you can sometimes sit there and go, um, you know, I really like this story, um, maybe, I don't, maybe I don't like the person who wrote it, but I can really like the work, right? Separating the art sure, from the article. Sure, sure, right. Well, that's one thing, but separating a book series you love that gets an adaptation, and you go, this is a terrible adaptation. And yet, if you, were to, if you knew nothing about the Pratchett books, you Maybe still... Just take, take the series Just take the series itself. on its own. Yeah. It's a bonkers, very... I mean, it's, it's very odd, and I don't mind that. Mm -hmm. I, find it, I find it to be very entertaining. Um, I don't know if it's good. I haven't, I, I'm, I'm seven episodes in and I can't tell you if it's good. But I'm entertained by it, and yet there's always that part of my brain going, that is not who this character is supposed to be. What was the one you were just... Because this is not the first one the of these. Rook The Rook came out a couple of years ago, yeah. and that's an adaptation of... That's an, is it audio adaptation? Well, no, it's a, it's a, it was a TV ad. It was a Star uh, series based on... Uh, the, and the third Rook, the third book in the, in the Cheque series, is what it's called, is coming out in March. Um, which I'm really excited about because I really enjoyed the series. The TV show is an adaptation in very much in name only. They mm -hmm. took the basics of concepts, they took a bunch of character names, and they made a, a show that has... I mean, if you hold it up to the light and squint and stand on one foot and, yeah. and then, you know, shake your head really, really hard until you black out, then you've got, you know, it, it's a faithful adaptation. Yeah. But the thing was, it also, in its own terms, was essentially, it was spies with superpowers, right? The novel is, that's like 15% of the novel. They took away all the really interesting stuff and kept the core. <laughs> uh, and, and this, in many ways, does something similar And what's really funny is that some of my the best performances in in the show are some of the ones that you would think would be the ones that you'd be really worried about. Anna Chancellor, who's a fantastic British actress, plays a character who is very much male in the books, uh, Lord Vetinari. And her performance as Lord Vetinari is fantastic. She is a great Lord Vetinari who happens to be a female as opposed to the male character of the book. Yeah. Any male actor playing the part the way that she's playing it, you would sit there and go, yeah, that's veterinary. Um, and yet, the main character of the show, Samuel Vimes, if I think about him in terms of the character in the books, it makes me angry. Because the character in the show is wrong. Mm. At the same time, again, in this world that they've created, and in fairness to the folks who've made it, and we'll see how the show ends, they have... Made they they're starting to make references very very clear that they know that this is the way they're, the way they're doing it. They're making it very very clear that this is an alternate timeline. This is not the watch of the books. It's another universe. Wow. 
Why would they do something like that? Um, and that's a good question. And this is where it gets into interesting things with some of the adaptations, other adaptations we can talk about. Is one reason I could possibly think is budgetary. For all the fact that this is sort of a mishmash steampunkish kind of world, mm -hmm. the watch, the watch books, the the Ankmore Pork books that Terry Pratchett wrote, are set in kind of this mid eighteen hundreds kind of world. So your your production value's got to be a certain level to make that world look real. It's a lot cheaper right. to do what they're doing. Um, in terms of production costs, I would imagine. Not to mention they, uh, well, they think they filmed in, in South Africa, which has a pretty decent um, production facilities down there these days. And um, it's it's such an odd show, and it's so odd because I love the Discworld books. They are they are some of my favorite fantasy fiction. Uh, Terry Pratchett was a genius, um, but it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like. I'm genuinely entertained by this show, and it's making me mad. <laughs> um, and although it's got some fun, it's got some. It's a fantastic cast, by the way. I mean, they, they've cast the show extremely well, which is part of the reason it's entertaining. Osgood, so, Osgood from from Doctor Who. Oh right, she is the head of the Assassins Guild, and it took me it took me like two episodes to recognize her because it's such a completely different character. Mm -hmm. She's you know, acting, this is what they do. Right. But you get used to like Osgood and then of course it's just like so cheerfully evil assassin. What <laughs> what is it that makes you angry? Is the fact that you're enjoying it in spite of the fact that it's not faithful or you're thinking about what could have been and So wasn't? a large part it's what could have been. Because in many ways I look at this cast and though I would not think of these people necessarily as my first choice to cast these people. Mm -hmm. The actor who's playing Vimes is actually, I could actually see him playing the role quite easily in a more faithful adaptation. He's a, he's, he looks the part, he's got the voice for it, he's got the, when he's allowed to be melancholy and angry at the state of injustice in the world, mm -hmm. uh, he's fantastic. Um, most of the time though, he's, they miss the point of the character in this adaptation. So yeah, there's there's a lot of that, it's, it's what could have been and what, The good news is, of course, is that Rihanna and the rest of the folks at the, the Pratchett Estate are working on film adaptations of the books. So we're going to get, at some point, we will get a much more faithful story about the, watch, the City Watch and Sam Vimes and Captain Carrot and Angua and all these other characters. Um, and hopefully they'll be cast extremely, you know, all these little things where you're hoping for, for a faithful adaptation. And yet, you look at this, you look at a show like The Rook, where it's, these are not, the, for all the fact that there's a huge number of fans in the U.S. of Terry Pratchett's books, um, they're much bigger in the U.K. Mm -hmm. um, right. you, te you tend to think, you hear about, you hear about, you know, the J.K. Rowling's and, and, and that kind of level. But you walk into, when I was in the UK, when I was in London in 2000, you would walk into stores all over the city and there'd be a Terry Pratchett display. 
There'd be toys and figurines, all this, and it's a huge industry. <coughs> and um, there was actually a big brouhaha for a little while when he read the first, he, he hadn't even read the first book yet, but he heard about it, the first Harry Potter book, and he said, and why is this different than half a dozen other stories about young women? And he was just asking the question. He wasn't, he wasn't like, you know. A, a he wasn't throwing shade No, no, he wasn't, he wasn't throwing shade or anything. He was just like, what's the big deal? Yeah. You know, it's like, the, the emergence of British fantasy. And he was like, <clears throat> excuse me, over here. Yeah. And a bunch of, you know, See, to, <laughs> I, when I read the Harry Potter books, because, you know, it's, oh, this was such a big deal. It's a huge thing. It was this, this sensation. And I'm reading them, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, it's all right. But it wasn't, it didn't bowl me over. It wasn't one of those things where, uh, it was just, you know, I had to read that next book. I had to devour the next the next movie. But you were also a lot older than the original target audience. And when I, w yeah. I was a book dealer at the time, and I was working for Borders when these books came out. When the first book came out, and we, we ended up with the midnight sales and all yeah, these different oh, things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, you in, I mean, it, it was a really interesting case of the right time. Mm -hmm. Right place, right time. It was the same thing with the Twilight series. I had gotten an advanced co reading copy of Twilight because we got all a bazillion advanced reading copies. Okay. And I read Twilight. And I was like, well, this is dumb. I mean, I was, I was, it was literally, I was, it was like, it's a standard, okay, I, I'm unimpressed. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. but again, right yeah. place, right time, right? So, and that's how think, some of this stuff works. I think part of my lack of enthusiasm about the Harry Potter stuff uh, was was enhanced, was augmented, I guess. Uh, there's a book called When Harry Met Frodo, and it is an examination and comparison mm -hmm. between Harry Potter and Frodo Baggins from a Christian allegory perspective, mm -hmm. because you have... Because you know, a lot of people were making comparisons between Harry Potter and, and Lord of the Rings. Sure, it's right. fan yeah. fantasy. Mm -hmm. And p the the people that were writing this, I can't remember who wrote the book. I've still got it in somewhere around here. Uh, but they were basically showing how Frodo, because Tolkien deliberately wrote a Christian allegory into Lord of the Rings. That's not there in Harry Potter. And a lot of people making the comparison to Harry to Frodo, and they were like, well, actually, because if you look at Harry as a character, from a moral standpoint, Harry Potter is just as immoral, morally corrupt, I, I'm not sure what the word is, but he's not any better of a person than the villains. He lies, he cheats, he breaks the rules, and he gets away with it because he's the chosen one. See, there's that, there's that catch-all, get out of jail. Mass murdering free. thing. I'm gonna, I'm well, gonna sit know, there and say that. You know, these, but these, from from the standpoint of comparing him to uh, well, you know, okay. Malfoy and all these others. I not mean, not only that, but there's a there's a whole lot of the. You can find plenty of articles out there that people who sit there and point out that the wizarding world, the entire secret society of, of wizard world 
over here mm -hmm. is nightmarish. Oh yeah. And and it's um I mean, was it the Weasley brothers have the store that sells love potions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, I think the, we call those date rape drugs. Folks. Yeah. Well, and I think that 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 part of it and and the fact that it was even even as Rowling's skill improved, the books didn't get that much better. Well, I, 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 the other thing is, is that I think that well, actually, I quite enjoyed the films. And my dad and I used to watch the films together. The they're new okay. film, the I new mean, film would come out, and we'd go watch them. We have a good yeah, time. They're all right. Was all right. Okay. Um, but the the other thing is that people tend to look at things like Harry Potter and and ascribe weight to them they don't really have. Yeah. They're, they're, they're young adult fantasy novels that had an appeal. People enjoyed them. But they're just young adult fantasy novels. And when, when all is said and done, at the end of the day... Don't let Tumblr hear you say that. I'm sorry, but they are. And guys, I've written, there is I've an, read a lot of fantasy and, and science fiction over the years. There is an entire generation sure. of cancel culture purple-haired Tumblr crowd that use Harry Potter as a frame of reference for every single life experience that they ever have. It's almost like they've never read any other book in the world. Well, like I said, um, it's it, sad. it came across at the right time. And also remember, this is a time when really the internet was exploding. No. So suddenly you can have your, your and we, you and I have had the experience of watching fandom change over the years, certainly. But it was, you know, here all of a sudden you could talk to all these different people about the thing that you love. And, and that, there's, there's benefits to that and there's negatives. But anyway, um, you know, the, that's an example of the films being as faithful adaptations as you could really realistically expect in terms of your runtime. You're, you're shaking your head over there, Mrs. Boss. You didn't, you didn't seem taken with the with the films I take it it was did not like did, didn't like well, any of them so was okay. he, and I never saw the last one you're not busy. I'm like well I just I, I'm not invested in the Harry Potter right it was so and, I and, and I was less invested because um, I think two years prior Neil Gaiman had published his the books of magic which mm. had a character named Tim Hunter who was a mm -hmm. young boy who discovered who was discovered that he was a in fact a powerful sorcerer, and was uh, inducted into the world of magic. He wore glasses too. He wore I, glasses, I and he had an owl. Yeah, I remember the discussion about all of that. Yeah, and yeah. quite frankly, um, the Tim Hunter story. I personally, and again, if you're a Harry Potter fan, by all means, great. That's fantastic. Enjoy it. Enjoy the books. Enjoy the films. I'm, I'm glad. And you know, they're they're a gate. They were a gateway for for a lot of people to get into fantasy. So I'm completely on board with that. Um, but I personally find the Tim Hunter story arc mm. more interesting because it's darker. It's darker and it's more. It's it's a more mature exploration of what it means to be dealing in a world where. Somebody can wave their hand and you can die. I mean, right. it's, it's a, and and it's an inter interesting discussion of the fact that Tim Hunter is also a chosen one, and one of his destinies is to be a monster, is to be the the most evil sorcerer, and part of it is navigating the fact that he knows he's seen that future where he kn and 
and so is everyone around him. <laughs> so there's folks who, who care about him and want to keep him from that, and folks who are afraid of him. And so it's been an interesting ex exploration. There are two or three different series DC's yeah. put out uh, on the, dealing with the books of magic over time. Um, and they've been interesting. I thought they've been, they've been, however you feel about, about various and sundry things like the New 52, for example, even in the New 52, for some, somehow DC managed to keep their darker, more adult fantasy horror series yeah. going pretty well. So even, even though Vertigo went away, the series that were getting produced in that genre mm -hmm. were generally uh, holding together even when the, the superhero stuff on the, on the New 52 wasn't. Right. Which is great for the fans who like that stuff, not so much for the folks who don't. But. Um, and, you know, we've got these adaptations coming out. We've got, you know, we've got Dune coming out, right? This yes. is a big thing. Um, we've had, uh, you know, and, and make the distinction here. So, superhero movies, <coughs> like Batman, Superman, the Avengers, that sort of thing, these are, generally speaking, they're not adapting a specific right. storyline. They'll and, take ideas and themes. Right. Uh, Civil War, you've got the title, and, and you've got a little bit of a, some a kind, of that, yeah, some of yeah, the thematic stuff. But then you can run into things that you know we, the Snyder Cut is coming out, and every, uh, there's a segment of the fan base which is really excited about this. But at the same time, when Man of Steel came out, the adaptation of that character, not necessarily that storyline. There's elements mm -hmm. of, of various different storylines to use. I mean, uh, Krypton and Zod and all right. these different things that appear. I mean, technically, if you're doing the origin story, it is a sort of an adaptation from the comic book because you're telling the origin story. Well, to, and that goes a certain way, right? To, and with with certain broader or more specific strokes and. Mm -hmm. At the time, the fan reaction was very divided. There were folks who loved the film, and there were folks who hated it. And there were a lot of folks in the middle. I didn't hate it so much, but I didn't love it. I and I was like more it. in the middle. of There were parts of it I enjoyed, and there were parts of it I didn't. I, I, I always find it interesting when the most interesting character in the film for me is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I actually found that... I thought, I thought the characterization of Zod was at least interesting. Yeah... But I don't know if it completely works, but at least it was the interesting. Whole, the whole third act for me just... Well, know, and this is, where, this, is, this is where you get into a real significant argument that you can have with... Should you make superhero movies look like they would happen in the real world? Because that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, and however you feel about that, that's what Snyder did. And there are... It's like, yes, that is in fact what it would look like for two godlike beings to fight in the middle of a city. Mm -hmm. Let's not have that, please. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, it, yeah. It's one thing when Godzilla does it. It's a giant monster, right? Right. But anyway, um, that's and a... And Godzilla versus Kong is not really an adaptation so much as a remake, because... Well, it's almost like a remix. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, I mean, it's there's a long history in the Godzilla films of... Godzilla and another monster, and then they fight, 
and then another monster comes along, mm. and the first two monsters team up to fight the right. the worst monster, and humanity. So it's is, like Batman v Superman. I, I to some degree, yeah. yes. Um, with um, generally speaking, um, this is how I get myself in trouble. Better writing. Um, <laughs> sorry, Snyder fans. Um, Not really? Not yet. I mean, it. <sighs> For all of Snyder's skill in the visuals, that's always been a strength and a weakness of his. He's a visually visually he's very 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 talented. From a story standpoint, not so much. He's he's made one. One film with a really, really strong story, as far as I'm concerned, and that was his Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Now his and Watchmen, even then he's his ripping. Watchmen adaptation. If you want to get into adaptations that either hit or miss, his Watchmen adaptation was it hit close. Mo- it hit more than it missed. Yeah. But because you couldn't do the squid. Well, you you, I, I give him credit for finding a, a solution that was better. Given the given the limitations, it's a twelve issue series, guys. Yeah, and there's a lot that didn't make it into right, the movie. and and there's a whole subplot about why the squid is even there, yep. and and they cut that out. This is an example, and and I've heard somebody saying that maybe it's time to consider since this with the success of the Watchmen miniseries, mm. that maybe it's time for someone to do an adaptation where you give it the room. To have those kind of details, but in any event, I I feel that he did a uh, I I appreciated what he did with the ending. But there's a there's and this is something that get the the the, the V for Vendetta adaptation ran into too, is there is a there is a criticism of violence and how violence is used in comics, in the Watchmen series. That is not in the movie. There's a glorific. There's a. It's a slickness. It's cool. The fight scenes look great. Yeah. And in the comic, it's much more a. It's more brutal. It's more brutal, and it's also more. You're not meant to feel good about it. Right. And that was. You know, this is not the first time that Alan Moore would make that commentary in in his work. And in V for Vendetta. You're supposed to feel ambiguous and conflicted about V as a character, mm-hmm. and they—it's—he's much more of a, I am a hero, in in the movie, and I own the movie. I, I, the movie's a lot of fun. I, I I enjoy the film, but I hate the. It's another one. The adaptation yeah. is terrible. Yeah, Mazers in the chat says, "Just think, in twenty more years, Superman will be told yet again." I wonder Won't if I'll still be open-minded enough to watch it. Just by then, Justin Bieber being Jor-El might be considered legendary. <laughs> Well, I don't think that Justin Bieber would play. Jor-El. We're getting a new Batman already, right? We're on ish. I mean, we're we're getting. Yes, he's a new Batman, but he's another Batman. New generally carries with it the idea that he's the only one that's out there. 
Whereas this one, we're getting we're getting you know, we're, we're getting we're, we're he, kicking he's off the in third one. We're kicking off in theory a new series of films starring this actor as Batman right. in this world. That, but we yeah. also still have Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's a multiverse. But, well, see, and that's another one too, too, because the Flash, the new Flash movie, is supposed to be the Flashpoint mm -hmm. type of film. Um, and from what I'm hearing, you know, the different pieces that have leaked and and all of those things, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a very faithful but that's adaptation. Okay. But you can't do Flashpoint faithfully. Not in two hours. Not in two hours, and not with the established characters you've already got. Well, not only that. Not only that. Flashpoint as an Elseworlds title, and there's an animated version yeah. of it. Um, and, and quite frankly, there the question is, do you even want to make that? Because it's, let's take all of the characters that you think you know and make them bad guys, essentially. Yeah, and, I and make an our world at war kind of thing with superheroes, yeah. and, and, and I, you know, I watched it with my I watched it with my son. He was probably I don't know fifteen, sixteen years old, and or maybe uh, he might have been younger. I can't remember when that came out. Is that one PG thirteen? I think I it's PG thirteen. It's, it's one of it's one of the higher rated, the higher end. Of the but thing. it is a bloody oh, yeah. and violent Which PG thirteen. Which is why I mean, and and and, and my kid, it was funny after we got done watching it. James looked at me. He said, "You probably should have pre-screened that one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But, but it's actually a fair because I've seen it too. It's a relatively faithful adaptation of the comic. It is. It's a brutal comic. And I think that and it's supposed to be it's supposed to set up this whole, you know, the for a want of a nail kind of thing where mm -hmm. you know Barry Allen does a mistake in time travel and bad things happen. Yeah. And um, Well, and what's what's interesting is that the subsequent uh, the subsequent Warner Brothers DC animated films all all supposedly kind of took place at all of that until this until what was the one that they just had here not too long ago that was right where, where it was it was it was Justice League and it was and he reset the whole he thing. reset and so the last image of the film is it basically fades to white and it's yeah. in, and and it's right. all the new so films all of this new st all of this stuff that you've been doing for the last twenty years they built in a continuity yeah. well not for the last twenty years well, I think how, I however long since it's like probably, probably what five years five six, six years. years so so great they had a little story arc and now it's done just like the new fifty two because unfortunately. I think a lot of the last, the most of the animated stuff was really leaning in the new Fifty Two universe, and so Trying to. getting out of there is yeah. fine. But um, so yeah, I mean you can you can get adaptations that, um, well, and even it can be even something that's being faithful, you know, broad strokes, and even in some of the real de some of the detail works, Watchmen was extremely faithful, and yet. It was also, you know, again, glamorized, you know, glamorized the violence in a very cinematic way, which is what you expect. But, but without the irony. But without without that 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 thing that runs through a large part of the of the. Mm -hmm. <coughs> For me, the negative the, aspects. The DC animated stuff, not necessarily the adaptation, because a lot of them are adaptations of different storylines. Mm -hmm. You've got sure. you know you know various different ones. But the fact that so many of them are R-rated, 
just really bugs the heck out of me. I'm thinking, and that didn't happen until Tucker took over. Well, but at the same time, if you're, and, and, and some of this comes down to, do you, because one can do a thing, does not mean one should do a thing. Right. And adapting, say, the killing joke, for all the impact that the killing joke has had on, and approximately 45 minutes of that film is an adaptation of the source material. Right, they added a bunch of stuff. And, and that, that was, a, that's, that's a whole separate don't do it decision. But in terms of adapting the kill, killing joke, while the killing joke was hugely influential in terms of what you kind of story you could be telling in comics. The Watchmen was we're we're in the same well, time period. Well, you're still in right? Alan Moore. Yeah, you're still in Alan Moore. Yeah, and and there's a reason that Alan Moore has more than once gone on record looking back at the content that he generated during this time period and went, "I'm sorry." Yeah, because uh, he immediately he he had no intention for Killing Joke to be canon. Yeah, it was supposed to be a one shot. And he wishes he he's again multiple. And this is this is a man who who has written some extremely violent stuff before during that time period and after. This mm -hmm. is not someone who shies away from tell, telling violent stories in comics, but he looks at things like uh, Killing Joke and the dark the 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 darkness influence trend in comics that Watchmen and Killing Joke really drove into. And he says, "This is not the intent. This is not what I wanted. This is yeah. not this. I meant to tell these stories, and I didn't want everyone to sit there and go, "We must all follow you now." Uh, well, and uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns was part of that as well with Frank Miller because there was that whole dark, brooding, gritty, and, grim and, and thing. Yet, and yet, there was a, there's a sense of hope at the end of, of at Dark the Knight end, Returns. Yeah, and and, and, and the adaptation a, disappointed me. You know what? I, I, I love Peter Weller. He, he is just not, not Batman. He's not. Well, I think the one thing the one thing that kept bugging me when I was sitting and watching because it's they break it up into two movies. It's yeah. part one mm -hmm. and part two. And I'm watching it, and I'm listening to Peter Weller's lines. It's like 70, 70 or eighty pages of content. So yeah. And it's just flat, no emotion. No, no nuance, mm -hmm. no anything, and I'm thinking, why, why are they doing this? This is obviously a creative choice, mm -hmm. but for me, all the times that I've ever read the book, when Bruce Wayne is retired at the beginning of the thing, I hear his voice dull and angry and defeated and weary yeah he's just done and then you get that you get that splash page where he comes out and the rain is a baptism and it's all this and you can feel the emotional shift in his narration mm -hmm. and this is like you know, he, he even says it, I'm 20 years younger, and, and all of this. He's rejuvenated, and is all this energy. And I'm thinking, where is this character? 
Why is Peter Weller not doing this? Because there's right. a ton of, I mean, this is all pent up after after being retired and, and missing for however many years. You know, I'm like, this is just dull. And it and it colored my perception of the entire rest of the of the film mm -hmm. because the main character, Batman, is boring. And I, and I, like I said, I, I think Peter Weller is great in so many things. Um, for he's the best part of a not good adaptation, um, Star Trek Into Darkness. He's the mm. he's the insane Starfleet Admiral, which is a long right. tradition of this, and he's the best part of it because he's. He's that character we've seen in other Star Trek things where it's like, they're going to attack us. We have to attack them first. We've, you know, this is, sure. And of course, this character pops up in, in political fiction as well. But in the film, because he's, he's that extremely reasonable, respectable figure who, of course... Is insane. Is insane. And every time he's on screen, you know, it's like, Peter Weller, here's the scenery. Mm -hmm. And he's like... May I? Yeah. yeah. Please do. He's like, excellent. And he just goes for it. And and so that's always fun to watch. But the... He's just not who I would cast as Batman. No. I, there are there are older heroes. I could, I could see him doing like a Justice Society movie and have him be like... Alex Scott. Alan Scott, or 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 even even uh, an an older Jay Garrick. Maybe I see. I have always heard Jay Garrick speaking a little bit faster I, because he's the Flash. You and know, that's kind of that, that energy. That's kind of why stuff. I think of him as Jay Garrick sometimes, is because it's like he's got such an even voice, and then he just moves super fast. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I could I could work. easily see him yeah. play that kind of thing in, in a superhero film, but he's just not Batman. To me, no. kind of like Nick Cage is never going to be Superman. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's just not going to happen, guys. But if he shows up in Flashpoint, I will be. I will sit there and smile <laughs> and and thank thank any the deity of your choice that we never got that movie. Uh, Mazur says maybe the Flash should be voiced by John Mashita. <laughs> do you remember him? I'm not sure I do. He did the FedEx commercials. Right? Oh, oh, oh there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, okay. The, the okay. Speed, the there we go. Fair yes, enough. John yep. Mishita. I'm fun. actually connected to him on Facebook now. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly how that happened, but it happened. These things work out that way. But he was really, really, really a fast talker. But you mentioned the Lord of the Rings. The 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 Lord of the Rings movies uh -huh. are for what they are, very faithful. Sure. They cut out a lot because there's a lot there. Yeah, and yet the Hobbit <clears throat> is a one film story told at three. Yeah, but to be fair, we are in an age now where the big epic movies are supposed to be trilogies because of Star Wars. Uh, and, and wait, 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 wait. And there was Hobbit-related material 
in uh, some of his other in some of um, Tolkien's work that they incorporated into this. So I yeah. There's I, okay. I, the argument that the studio made made sense from a studio point of view, from an adaptation of the source material, a fan satisfaction, and trying not to kill the director. Or driving people like uh, you know Ian McKellen to tears because he was on set alone acting on a green screen and it was he I mean, multiple times he said it was an incredibly frustrating experience. I'm sure it was because he got into acting so he could act with people. Yeah, not so that he could actually sit there and talk to a ball. Yeah, Mazur says they're faithful yet they're an interpretation by one person. They're a popular interpretation, certainly a good one by my standards. Though I'm not everybody else. Well, and and there are there are aspects to those films. I think casting wise, they're beautifully cast. They're, mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And there are Casting's moments those, when when the Hobbit films are works of art. And there are other times it's like, as an editor, as an editor, <laughs> this twenty minutes could go away, and no one would know it was gone if we just cut it out. Except, it has to be longer. Well, and so we're we're over on Zompocalypse now podcast plug for a show that started on Sci-Fi for me and so a little world uh -huh. now. Uh huh. Um, we're talking about the stand. We're watching the stand. Yes, that's another one that's been adapted. So we've had the oddly. we had the ninety six, ninety four, ninety six, somewhere around there miniseries, which of course is six hours long, mm -hmm. and it's again it's condensed. Um, and um, Dustin Adair, who's written, who's, who's written for Sci-Fi for me, uh, the first episode of, of The Stand made him angry, like almost sputtering. The, car, the new one. The, the new yeah. one. And, and there's a number of issues with it, and some of it's who the focus is on the characters and, and versus who the focus is on the book. Um, as, an editor, <laughs> as, as an editor, it's driving me nuts. Oh, I'm sure. I mean... The one thing now I have not seen the current iteration of it. The original, the the earlier miniseries I sat and watched with Mindy the other day, and you're building to something. Mm -hmm. And as I understand this, the way the current is, it's bouncing back and forth and and back and forth in time time frames, which sort of. Kills a little any, any bit of there's the, three different, the momentum. Over the first four episodes, there's three different time frames, and there's a lot of moving parts in this thing. We got to bring a lot of characters together to make them get into one story and and move forward. It's a nine episode show. Mm. Only eight of those episodes are an adaptation of the novel. The ninth episode is a new material from Stephen King. Right. It's over a thousand pages. Eight hours. That's a, that's that's a lift. Can it be done? Sure, it can be done. Yeah, but you got to be very very careful how you do it. Personally, I blame. And how many adaptations? Fiction. How many adaptations of Stephen King's material have, <laughs> have missed the point? A lot, right? a lot, including including stuff Stephen King has written himself. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, uh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Okay, so Maximum Overdrive is based on a short story, and um, you know it is a at least at least. We have the excuse that Stephen King can say, I can't remember the movie because I was high on cocaine. 
don't remember making the movie. Um, but he also wrote Skinwalkers, uh-huh. which is, let's say it's on the lower end of the, of the King quality. He's a great writer with a problem with endings. J.J. Abrams should make his movies. Because J.J. Abrams has a problem with endings as well. They'd be a perfect match. Uh, I, you know, for all the fact that Frank Darabont is apparently a nightmare to work with, at least has become one, at least in the, from the Walking Dead world mm. side of things, you know, his adaptation of, of King's work... Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Great movie. Uh, has generally been... Uh, he gets the point. And I, and I think that's some, that's one thing we we you need to consider when you're thinking about an adaptation is sometimes you make changes but you keep the point. And some changes are, as we've talked about before, moving from one medium to another. Changes right. have to happen. I I admire the fact that people keep trying to make versions of A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. I admire the fact that they keep trying. I, st- I still don't I think just, they've made it. Well, they haven't. And, and I think that one of the challenges is, is that some of the things that work on the page for that novel mm-hmm. just don't translate into visuals that are going to have the same impact as they do on the page. And so you have to make decisions on what you're going to show, yeah. how you're going to interpret that thing, and you're not going to satisfy people with it. You I just think, can't. I think you also have to take into account that <sighs> Madeline Lingle, as a writer, was also uh, a person of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's in those books to a certain extent. Not a lot. It comes into play in the later books. Yeah. Uh, but and it, it's Hollywood much, it's, is not necessarily the best for making faith-based anything with any degree of respect for the material. Well, I would say it depends on what you're looking for. You, there are plenty of dramas that lean into the religious aspects that I think that once they get away from all religion comes in a single flavor, um, which is, again... An, uh, so here's a thing that you can get into. And you, you know, th- this is what happens when people make movies, right? It's my face contorts for those of you who are just listening yes. to the show. So because Hollywood... Ho- with exceptions there is a shorthand thing that happens when people tell stories in movies and because they say I've only got so much time I cannot delve into dot 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 right right so also all all mental illness comes across the same even though yeah it's not Um, silver I I come back to this again and again Silver Linings Playbook is an extremely entertaining movie. I really enjoy that film. Nobody's mental illness works that way. You are never going to find the person... I'm sorry. You're never going to find the person whose mental illness is the inverse of yours and you connect perfectly. No, you're not. I'm sorry. That's not how how (laughs) brains work. But, but But in terms of a movie... It works because it's telling a certain kind of story. But it's the same thing with um, 
in when you have a religious character in a movie, they come in generic Christian here, generic Jewish character, generic, right? Uh, and and there's a stereotype that goes with it. And and it's it's because sense. we we can all recognize that character, and we don't have to spend time knowing who that character is because that eats right. up screen time, right? Right. Which is. So unless your story, unless your story has a critical aspect where this story of this nun, it's their story, and you can take the time and you can delve into it, but most of the time that's not what we're looking at. You're looking at, here's the priest character, here's the pastor character, here's the rabbi character, here's the, um, and it's their, you know, there's the, here's the friendly religious character, here's the evil religious character, and, I, and they end up these broad strokes that... I always find it interesting that whenever we get religious characters in a film by and large they're some flavor of Catholic you, <laughs> the churches are pretty the churches and, are pretty and, 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 and the color the visual it's yes, very, it's it's the color. and I'm thinking okay but there are other well, there are other denominations there are a hundred and sixty ish denominations of Christianity in the U.S. today. Yeah. And they all believe, while they believe in large part many of the same things, there are differences so, among them. Yeah. And so, but again, when it come to, comes to film, unless you are dealing, diving into that particular flavor of faith, and it's the same thing with Judaism, Catholicism comes in a bunch of different flavors. It's not. It's it's got its own range of things, um, and so d whatever your faith is, um, your the odds of you seeing it reflected on screen is limited by the fact that in unless it's about a religious that specific religious character and you take the time to delve into their world, they're usually and here. And here's the priest I go give confession to. Mm -hmm. Here's my pastor at my church who I meet and we have coffee. And they tend to be, you know, secondary characters and, and consequently you don't get the depth. And so they become more generic. Um, and then sometimes you get into, on the horror side of things, because Catholicism recognizes, you know, there's, there's the exorcist, sure, right? Sure, the demonic possession. So you've got that, like, well, clear, clearly you're going to have the Catholics here because of course, they've yes. got the bell, book, and candle and all, all the things and, and there's the process, right? And, and we all want to be, you know, William Peter Blatty and, and the I, exorcist. I think some of that where you have these stories that are in and around a church. You look at Daredevil, for example. Mm. That's one of the ones, that's one of the stories that I think actually treats the faith with a, a certain degree of respect that you don't see a whole lot in Hollywood. Well, it's they're either character. throwaway characters or they're parody characters or they're you know very flat one-dimensional caricatures or whatever like you said with the with the the, the shorthand but with uh, with Matt Murdock and the characters that are around him you know he's got that the the priest the at the at the church and and various different things, you actually have some depth to mm -hmm. that aspect of well, Matt those Murdoch, characters. Matt Murdock has always been a character whose um, faith has been important to the to the core of the character. But as I recall, it was kind of a big deal when all of a sudden we had this Catholic superhero. I mean, it was mm -hmm. part of, it was part of the character. 
um, because generally speaking, up till that point, really, I'm sure there, yeah. I sure there were some some Jewish characters who had popped up um, that were uh, no Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock predated. I was thinking of Kitty Pride, for example, but Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Yeah, she, he was first. He was. Uh, well, certainly, first. yeah. But I'm trying to think of there was. I, I can't think of another character uh, off the top of my head, but um, but it was it was kind of a big deal because it was like okay, this is and and it was a way of looking at the character. Was Vic Sage religious a religious character at all? Do you remember? Well, so Vic Sage, the question. In his original form, in the, back in the Charlton. In the, well, in the Charlton point, uh, yeah. so uh, he was an objectivist. Okay. And and he was. Um, it's an example of a character that Steve Ditko really was challenging, channeling a lot of his own personal political philosophy through. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you just look at it and go, okay. Uh, because the 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 question was the kind of person who would sit there and go, "Oh dear, it's a criminal who is dying. I could save them, but should I? I don't think I should." And he just walk away. Rorschach in in The Watchmen, which based on the question, right? He actually pull, he's he's the sort of objectivist hero that the question was in the Charlton stuff, taken to an extreme. Now you get into the modern interpretation of the question um, with Denny O'Neill. Writing him, it becomes a much more layered, and the, some of those questions are still in there. Mm-hmm. Is where do I, you know, do I reach out a hand to the person who's tried to hurt me? And um, and Vic Sage struggled with that throughout the course of of, of his run in the comic, and then of course the uh, Rene Montoya's version of the question struggled with some of the same things, but um, and that was that was a place when you saw that. Showing up in Ditko's stuff because a lot of times he would he would put his own views into some of these characters and it made them interesting characters sometimes and sometimes it made them generally creepy. Uh, <laughs> Mister E. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that some of that stuff, you know, you're and and it, but it made them iconic characters and whether you whether you liked them or not or or felt that they were actually good storytelling or not. They were interesting enough to have life and to stay on, and um, and for other writers to come along and go, I want to change that <laughs> because I don't think I like. Do we do we need that many more heroes who look at someone and go, Nah, I'm not going to save you. Mm. It works sometimes, and sometimes it's a so terrible thing. Let me let me throw this one out there for you because this is an adaptation that we're getting. Mm. That we don't necessarily need mm. or want, mm. and it's an adaptation that I'm not sure how they're going to get the point because I don't know what the point is. Mm. Risk, the board game, is getting a movie adaptation. Okay, so I want you to consider two films. On one hand, I want you to consider Clue. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. Stay, stay with me here. But Clue had a built-in stay story. Stay with me here. It stay had a story built-in. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Consider Clue. Uh-huh. On the other hand, consider Battleship. Battleship. 
Okay, so in all fairness, Battleship is a watchable movie. If you forget it's an adaptation. If you, of the game. especially if you don't think about it, <laughs> is it a good movie? It, it's a. I mean, they even made the torpedoes look like the pegs. I mean, come on. But you know, honestly, if if the word if the if there was no game that was con if the, if they had just sat there with uh -huh. you know, yes, it shares the name yeah, name with the game, but sure. it's a, the peg thing wouldn't have bothered me. Complete coincidence. It doesn't uh, have anything to do. Yes, but I mean, it's not a good. It's it's there's nothing great about the movie. It's it's got some really dumb moments, but it's also got some cool action bits and blah blah. You know, it's it's. It's a Saturday afternoon. Nothing else is on. Popcorn flare. You know, yeah. That's an hour and a half. I was, I was okay with spending on a, on a movie, you know. But, but risk. <sighs> risk. So, so why don't you just tell a story of, do a movie about Napoleon. Give me a, give me a, a, a HBO prestige yeah. limited series about Napole Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, see, because <laughs> I, I, you know, you look, at a, you look at the board game and, you know, the... The map is not even accurate to any kind of a map of the world, really, in terms of all of the regions. So, are we going to do alternate timeline, different history? Are we well, in the a, future? It's a world war. It's I mean, a world war movie, and and the question is, how are they fighting? Because why are they fighting? Well, yeah, there's all kinds of things you can. Uh, yeah. I'm, by the time by the time you build in a backstory and you develop whatever the rationale for and then characters and all these things it's going to be we named a movie after a board game and that's it's going to be the same thing whereas clue you're right there's a story built in there's actually characters yeah and they're yes they're broad strokes characters but it gave you the room to sit there and go you know to bring in a character that's not in the game the butler well and i think part of it too is when you look at clue and you look at the character cards, it's, it's again, that visual shorthand. I mean, Miss Scarlet is the slinky one, and Miss White, and, you know, Professor Plum is the nerdy guy, and you've got, you know, Colonel Mustard, who's the, 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 the Teddy Roosevelt type. So they're already types mm -hmm. before, you you, ever, before you ever cast it. And then you subvert those types because you make it a comedy, and you right. make it a clever comedy that actually makes requires you to pay attention to the humor. <laughs> I'm not sure doing three different endings was necessary. Well, no, but that is an example of can you do a thing, then you should do a thing. <laughs> because, quite frankly, I think that it's, it, especially when you get to watch them back to back, mm. they're all really funny riffs on the same idea. Mm. And there is, if nothing else, that's an example of let's have fun fun with this idea. All right. Let's play. So, worst adaptation that you've seen so far? Mm. I know that's a, that's a broad That's question. a really tough one because sometimes you end up with things like, um, sometimes you end up with things like how to murder a character, Superman in the quest for peace. You know, it's, it's, it's mm. such a, and that's and that's the studio's fault. That's the studio with no money and, and all these yeah. things and rights and all this stuff. Um, and so that's a very narrow thing. Um, oh gosh, most recent one I've seen. Um, 
the Peter Jackson one that he just did, Mortal Engines. Oh, right, right. Uh, I didn't think it was a bad it's movie. It's not a bad movie, but it's, it's never getting a sequel because it's right. a trilogy of books. Um, I've, watch, I've watched the um, Divergent movies. Mm. And I kind of hate them. Yeah. Um, For me, I think if you look, if you compare the Hunger Games with 2020, it completely missed the mark. It didn't go far enough. <laughs> the good news is, is at this point, um, we have not reached the level where we are actually sending the teenagers off to fight for the cameras. Not yet. Did you see the comparisons between Lady Gaga at the inauguration and, and what's her what's her name? The the blonde Elizabeth oh Elizabeth Shoe? No, not Elizabeth no. Shoe. Um in the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um she uh Banks. Banks, mm. Elizabeth Banks, her character, I don't remember the name of it. But the the whole flamboyant costuming and the dress and whatever, I was like, oh, so we're in the Hunger Games now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, Lady Gaga's got a nice voice, uh, but and actually, Elizabeth Banks is my favorite part of the Hunger Games movie. I can I can actually Effie could, is that you her? Could, you can yeah. you can yeah. lose yeah. almost everything else, but her performance in those was was actually fun to watch. I'm that's that's another series. I I just don't yeah I don't care. <sighs> mm, okay. It's outside science fiction, but you get into the Ben Hur remake. Mm. Mm. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, I, I, the more recent one. Yeah, yeah. there's just the problem is the problem is, is that some of these folks don't necessarily, and it might not be the far. It, it, you know, and some remember that so much of this stuff is not one person did it wrong. It, it's a chain of events, right? Yeah. It's a writer writes a script, it gets rewrites they don't have anything to do with, the director works with the material they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, okay, no, Fantastic Four. Oh, yes. Because it is an adaptation of a source material. It's That's an true, It's yes. an adaptation, uh, very ultimate. loosely, but it's an adaptation of yeah. the ultimate line, Fantastic Four Ultimate. Uh, yeah. The first arc of the storyline, I, I and it's god awful. Yeah, um, I would I would go with uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. It's a bad adaptation of Star Wars. And I think um, you, I think you could you could make the the one of the biggest sins that the the sequel trilogy for all the fact, and I know this is going to upset some people. That the middle film of the sequel trilogy. Wait, are you saying that Star Wars fans can get upset about something? I'm saying it's, 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 it has it occasionally <laughs> has occurred. For all the fact that that there are reasons why people didn't like the middle film, the the Colin Colin Trevorrow was that was that no, was it was Ryan Ruby? Johnson. Ryan Johnson thing. I, I, Colin Trevorrow left because right, right. Ryan, Ryan Johnson made such a mess of things he couldn't pick things up. Well, but the thing is, is that I honest I, I don't agree with the way that he did it because I have issues with that film as well. But I honestly feel like. That was the right idea. They should have gone farther afield from the first, the, from the original film. Be if, if it had not been seven, eight, nine, finishing out the Skywalker thing, I would agree with you. The thing is, 
Ryan Johnson, for whatever reason, failed to understand that he was telling act two of a three-act play. And when you're in a three-act play, the three acts need to connect. And his yeah. is like... Leroy Jenkins oh, and, over I, here. And, and, and I don't, and, I don't agree with that, but I think that the, 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 for me, one of the in retrospect, the biggest the biggest sin of the sequel trilogy is that it felt overall too much the same. I I can I can, I can go I can understand some of that, and I and and a lot of that is, and especially in the Force Awakens, is. We need to we need to convince the fans that we know what we're doing mm -hmm. that we have a handle on this and I and, and I got it on that one, but then you get into the Last Jedi making such a mess of things that Rise of Skywalker is this hodgepodge of everything to try to fix. Yeah, and, I just, and then by then you're just it's it's I also, done. I also think they don't they didn't they I don't think they had a clear through line. From the beginning, yeah, and admittedly, well, neither did Lucas. But see, the but. <laughs> even with a even with a plan, because Abrams had a kind of an idea. The problem is, is the, but the, even with that, Johnson completely ignored well, but, all of it. But see, but see, even then, I mean, just because just just because Lost, he got away with it with Lost, doesn't mean you can get away with it when you're doing a feature film thing, right? right. You, you got to have a beginning, a middle, and end. If you're gonna, if your if your plan is to make a trilogy. Well, I've always said that J.J. Abrams cannot stick the landing. It, it, you go all the way back to Alias, and he cannot stick the landing. And I think that there's an argument made for that. I think he's another filmmaker who... Um, he loves that mystery box. I saw that TED Talk he did on the mystery, his uncle's mystery box. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, God, just get rid of the mystery box altogether. You, not every movie has to have a mystery box. No, no, it doesn't. But the thing is, is that we also we also encourage our directors by going, okay, this is the thing that we really liked about this thing, so yeah. let's do it again. M Night, Hollywood, Hollywood always learns the wrong <clears throat> lesson. Well, remember that when all is said and done, Hollywood is a business, and yep. the lesson we learn from business is. Did it make money? More of that, please. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about next week? I don't Do we know. know. We don't know yet. Things and stuff. Things and stuff. All right. So, let us know your thoughts. If you've got uh, adaptations that didn't quite hit the mark for you, uh, let us know. Give us a, a comment. Oh, yeah, Shoot please. us an email. H2O at sci-fi for me.com. Uh, don't forget on uh, the daytime, uh, we have at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, live from the bunker. And then tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, we have a brand new Salacious Crumbs. Do we have a card for that, Mrs. Boss? The Salacious Crumbs card under full screens? In the tab, oh, we're gonna have to. We'll have to work on that. Uh, but, but that's tomorrow night with the latest Star Wars news. Oh, Battlefield Earth. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a good novel. <laughs> but was it a faithful adaptation movie? Disturbingly it, close. Was it? Yeah. Huh? Um, the problem is that. Well, okay, that doesn't make it a good adaptation either, <laughs> because it was a 
terrible film. I, I and I didn't care. I don't care for L. Ron Hubbard's fiction. Um, he wrote some good westerns, actually. Oh, okay. he, I don't, his, his, his science fiction and fantasy stuff doesn't doesn't impress me. Yeah. But the yeah anyway. All right. So <laughs> next next uh, next week uh, stuff and things. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Uh, we'll be back with more. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.